Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Forensic Psychology is a podcast that provides an illuminating window into the workings of the criminal mind. Now, here's your host, Dr. Carlos. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, Danny. Thank you, Doc. Glad to be here. Now, this is a little bit of a twist from our normal cases. Today, we're going to be talking about a serial rapist called the Teardrop Rapist. What do you think? Yeah, and so this is uh, an unsolved case, not necessarily a homicide, as far as anyone has uh, been able to determine so far. But uh, these types of predators, Doc, you know, um, as you well know, uh, these are the, the types of people that are going to end up killing someone sooner or later if they're not caught. Um, but, uh, but the teardrop rapist is a uh, uh, case that's gone on for quite a long time. And, and interestingly enough, and one of the reasons that, that I was interested in it is that um, this guy's been hitting through this corridor of LA that goes right through the center and, and through um, the jurisdiction where I work the streets, uh, back in the 80s and you know of course uh, my, my time working homicide I, I spent a lot of time in South LA and this is the area that this guy has been hitting and it's an LAPD case and everything that I've I've been able to discover so far is that um, that that's the only cases they're focusing on and and one of the reasons I wanted to do this case is you know we have a pretty good following and a lot of listeners who are from LA uh, and a lot of law enforcement from LA. And I'm just wondering if there's more cases that these guys don't even know about. That's a great point. That's a great point. And um, there's got a lot of things that really have me asking questions. As you mentioned, serial rapists, a lot of them do tend to kill. Um, but his MO is really unique, and I think we're going to see that, folks. Before we get started, folks, by the way, if you want to support the show, make sure to share, subscribe, hit that like button. That really helps us out. It helps us with the algorithm and YouTube. and gives us an, an inkling if you really like the show. So, detect, uh, Detective, let's go ahead and I'll get started here. Uh, the teardrop rapist is a moniker for the unidentified rapist responsible for as many as 35 sexual assaults on women, including minors. In L.A., California, the assaults began in 1996 and continued through 2012. I think he did have a little bit of a break in that 16-year period. He has believed two breaks. He had two breaks. Two two breaks, which is really interesting, and of course we'll discuss that. He is believed to be a Hispanic male with a, a light complexion, received his nickname from at least one teardrop tattoo under his eye, but that's. Not the whole story either when it comes to the description. You'll find that out, folks. 
The perpetrator was thought to have stopped his assaults in 2005, but in November 2011, a 15-year-old girl was attacked and DNA evidence was linked to the same rapist. Now, he has been linked, his DNA, at least to 11 sexual assaults. Uh, however, the victim did not see the tattoo that many of the previous victims had, perhaps uh, due to tattoo removal. Who knows? Uh, memory is not always really reliable when um, people are witnesses or victims of a crime. After an attempted assault on July 15, 2002, police announced plans to canvass the Hispanic neighborhoods of L.A. and offered a $50,000 reward for information leading to an arrest. On July 27, uh, 2013, LAPD announced their collaboration with the FBI and increased the reward to $100,000, with $25,000 coming from the FBI. Also was released a new set of composite sketches. By the way, folks, we did an episode with Trooper Casey with a forensic artist, and it was really intriguing. If you want to find out how they operate, you can check that one out. Um, so this is a really interesting case, Danny, because you have so much going on. And, and when you look at it at face value, it doesn't seem that complicated. <laughs> you got a guy who hits the same target, you got the same victim, same area, and yet he, he evades everybody. Well, here's the thing, and, and uh, investigators have, have made this real clear. This guy fits into the community. Uh, he, he belongs in the community. And he's very comfortable and relaxed in the community. So, you know, until he actually commits his crime, uh, there's no reason that anyone, he's not going to stand out at all. Um, I, what what puzzles me is that he's hit so many times and there's never been a witness to the, uh, to the abduction, to the, to the assault. And, and that's just a little bit puzzling to me, but, but from my understanding, he's mostly hitting near bus stops and that, that a lot of his victims were either going to or coming from uh, uh, transportation, uh, taking a bus to or from somewhere and getting off at a bus stop. And it seems like he's probably um, even casing these bus stops and finding his victim and maybe spending a couple of days uh, getting an idea of, of how he would grab his victim and, and who he wanted to grab. So the guy's, the guy's been pretty clever. And I, I, um, I think that uh, he, in his approach, uh, I guess all the victims have been very comfortable with him when he approaches, he's very friendly and kind of a nice guy. And, and they're, they're not, they're not um, concerned about him until he actually attacks them. So it was kind of a, a strange case in that way. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You made several good points there. One of them, serial rapists, there's different typologies out there. And I know the Groth typology hasn't classified in different areas, but he definitely does not fit, doesn't seem to fit what they would call the sadist serial rapist folks. And that's the one who actually will kill them. And they care nothing about them in the sense of uh, their life. Now, the one here, it seems almost as he's the, what they call a passive or uh, type of rapist where he's going to lure them in, be friendly to them, talk to them, as Detective Smith said, um, kind of unassuming, not dangerous at all. And then all of a sudden, they threaten them, usually with a gun or a knife, but never really plan to use it. And I don't even think he has used it in any of these cases. Not that we know of. Um, and, you know, uh, with, with with these cases uh, stopping and then starting again in one I, I believe two years, one time, five years, another time, you know, of course the question is, well, 
what happened? Why did he stop? Did he go somewhere else? And, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of ideas I have, and it's just throwing it out there. But number one, I wonder if, if he's gone back to Mexico, uh, if he's a, if he's a Mexico national, uh, and, um, and he's gone back and forth for whatever reason, uh, perhaps he's even been deported, uh, and had to, you know, took a couple of years to get back. The other uh, common thing that happens with some of these serial killers is they end up going to prison for something uh, of a lesser crime. And the only, the only concern about that is that, you know, now if you go to prison, your DNA is taken and put into a database. So I would think that the case would have solved if he had gone to prison. And uh, I forget what year they started doing the database, but, but it's more likely that he's just left the area, in my opinion. That's a great point. That's a great point because you're trying to figure out why he did stop. Um, could be obviously the heat was getting on him. Maybe he did leave. Um, he also, I'm assuming you mentioned before, the community probably knows him in some capacity and it's got to be a capacity where they've just never put two and two together. Um, yes. That, I mean, that's, I, I do believe he's part of the community and, and, uh, you know, obviously, I don't think that he's hitting, you know, close, close enough to home that people would, would actually say, you know, I know this guy, he lives on such and such street, but he's able to just kind of fit in. And, and what that means, I don't know. You know, sometimes in cases like this, you wonder if the person is, is some kind of a, uh, involved in some type of a service, you know, um, uh, taxi cab or buses or, you know, uh, the Pelote, Pelote man, um, you know, some type of vendor or something. I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case on this, but, but somehow this, this individual, he, uh, he's in this area and uh, he draws no attention whatsoever to himself. So, and, and I've not heard about uh, him using a vehicle. So that's interesting too. I mean, you know, is he parking a vehicle nearby and approaching on foot? Um, I don't know. That's really interesting too. And folks, here's a couple of tips that might, if he fits the profile, again, that we talked about the type of rapist that he is, they tend to have low self-esteem. They feel inadequate a lot of times. They're not very good at interpersonal relationships. So this might be something, if it jars a memory of somebody who maybe has seen something in that area, maybe an individual like this. So a lot of times they're they're striving to, to, how would you say, compensate for their feelings of inadequacy, especially sexually. That's usually why they're doing this. And it's a control issue for them as well. Um, a lot of times he feels his victim is special. And one of the reasons I'm seeing that because he has the same kind of victimology, it looks like a lot. So it looks like he's fulfilling some kind of relationship fantasy there. But he doesn't really have any intent to punish or degrade them. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, I didn't. I was just going to say, um, one of the things I wanted to talk about is the fact that this corridor, you know, if you look at the pin map, and I, I think you're going to put that on the uh, video, you can see that that there's a corridor, an actual corridor where he's he's striking through basically uh, what we used to call South Central Los Angeles. And, um, uh, you know, for people that don't know, uh, LA, the city of Los Angeles is, is, of course, within the county of Los Angeles. And and it's, it's one of, you know, many cities in the county of Los Angeles. And even in that corridor, there's various cities and various districts of the county that are policed by uh, 
agencies other than LAPD. For instance, uh, one of the cases they said uh, occurred in the in the Firestone Florence area, which is actually where I was assigned as a patrol deputy. And generally speaking, that could have been in the sheriff's area that's now policed by Sentry Station. Uh, it could have been in Huntington Park. It could have been in Southgate. You know, loosely speaking, that that covers a, a, a wide area. And I just wonder if if LAPD and this task force that they have, if they've if they've been able to um, if they've been able to contact all of the agencies and and do a good job of making sure that they don't have other cases that could be linked, because you know within another case that hasn't yet been linked could be the uh, the solution to to solving the crime. And the map you're referring to, you can see it, folks. It has all the little hot spots and the dots. It also has a timeline. It's coming from the LA Times. Uh, you'll see a lot of the assaults happen early on in 2000, between 2000 and 2003 and four. Predominantly, then it had a staggering period. But you can see it's concentrated from Melrose Avenue on the top there, all the way down towards Manchester Avenue in Vermont. Um, you can see how they cluster around Exposition Boulevard, Slauson Avenue. Um, and then, you know, they're not far from, from USC, but it seems like this individual uh, is, is focused on victims near bus stops. And, you know, although I don't have all of the information about victims, in fact, I have very little information about victims, appropriately so in these types of cases, my sense of the matter is that he is probably targeting um, that perhaps people who are less likely to um, go to the police right away, maybe they won't go to the police at all. I would imagine that there's victims who haven't gone to the police. Um, clearly, plenty of them have. But, um, you know, just just even factoring in the the uh, the bus stop uh, uh, element of the case makes me think you know about some of the cases i've investigated over the years and and some of the uh the people who have to communicate have to commute by bus and i know in 2011 we he, he assaulted somebody at around 5 30 in the morning a 15 year old female hispanic walking in the area of adams boulevard and normandy avenue was approached by the male him who asked for her directions so you can see here he's already clever he's trying to reduce the tension get her comfortable and then he produced a handgun and forced her to walk a short distance to her yard where he sexually assaulted her. And within weeks of the attack, it was linked by DNA evidence to a series of sexual assault cases that had previously been investigated. Um, detectives identified 28 similar incidents of sexual assault and not 1999 as they originally believed in the most recent attack. So again, all the crimes occurred in the early mornings between five and eight. So as you mentioned early in the show, he's definitely scouting this out. Yeah, they're, they're happening early in the morning, and um, uh, it, it seems that, that there's a particular uh, geographical uh, draw to his, his victims, and, and, um, and perhaps, like you said, they might even have some physical characteristics that, uh, you know, that he's interested in. I don't, you know, again, we don't know much about the victims, but um, the, from, the, from the little bit that we do know, it seems like like he's uh, looking for a particular type of person in a particular area. And that in and of itself should help uh, solve the case eventually. And um, I, think it, I think it's a case that, that could and, and will be solved. 
Yeah, the only thing we have in regards to the victims is the range. The age ranges from 14 to 41 years of age. So in the world of criminology, anybody who gets sexually aroused by somebody between 13 and 17 is what they call a hebephile, an H-E-B-E file, P-H-I-L-E. So hebephiles are more sexually aroused by pubescent or adolescents. Um, they're not aroused, usually not, but doesn't mean they can't be, but they're not usually aroused by children or prepubescent pedophiles. Um, but they can go from adolescents to adults, as we see he has, <laughs> obviously. Right. He has ranged back and forth. Um, the only other thing I've seen here that the suspect is classified as a male Hispanic, 27 to 40 years of age. This is as of 2015. So obviously he's probably a little older now. He's about five foot two. And, um, but he stands between five foot two and six feet. This is what the other part that's really interesting to me. He weighs between 130 to 200. He's also been described as having a light complexion, a possible teardrop. Some say he might have, might have removed it. Uh, he has a scar below one of his eyes. This is what might lead to some people saying he might have removed the teardrop. The suspect has been seen wearing a dark hooded sweatshirt and a green bandana. To cover his head, he's worn a black baseball cap or dark colored beanie. So that's interesting because you have a wide range of descriptions here. Five foot two to six well, feet. Ooh. Well, you have a uh, you have a couple of decades that he's been doing this. Also, um, you have to you have to factor that into these descriptions. Uh, number one, he clearly has changed over those years. So you have them, you know, describing him with a twenty year span. Well, there's been a twenty year span of these crimes. Or close to it. So, um, and also as far you know, if you look at the composite drawings, uh, you know, you'd have to say, well, that's not even the same guy. But um, all of these cases have been linked either through DNA or a very specific MO that that uh, that the crimes are so specific that the police have been able to um, conclude uh, quite confidently that that these each of these cases that they've cited are linked and it is one suspect so you know as far as is you know the composites the descriptions the teardrop you know there's one teardrop two teardrops right eye left eye you know these things when when a when a person is physically assaulted uh, it, it's so hard for people to remember things you know these minor details some victims will amaze you and they just, they absolutely lock it in, but most people don't. And, and what you'll find with any type of crime, when you have several witnesses to a crime, each of them are going to describe things differently, the way it happened, what the, the suspects look like, how they were dressed, what ages they are. So I, I don't get too hung up on, on the, uh, the varying descriptions and even the uh, composite drawings. Yeah, no, I, I don't blame you on that. I completely agree. Memory, uh, our memories are not that reliable. I mean, I've seen studies where they've shown 30, 40 people watching a, uh, I think it was, a, it was a car accident, and they were watching everybody that was around, and these people are just sitting there watching the video. They're not even under the stress of the crime, and yet some people, he had a blue cap on, he had a red cap on, he had no cap on, Um so yeah, our memories are definitely not like a Polaroid picture, folks. Definitely not. No, no, and that's interesting. I wonder if uh, there's been any uh, any of these um, crimes that have occurred anywhere where surveillance video from nearby businesses has been available. 
Um, I haven't read anything about that where it's been the case, but that would be, you know, nice. It's, it's in today's world, there, it seems like it's almost impossible not to be on video at some point somewhere, especially in a major metropolitan area. In 2013, that's eight years ago. They must have had cameras around somewhere. Yeah. And, really and, and based, and based on the years, I mean, my guess is this guy now is probably, you know, easily in his fifties. Uh, if, if you just kind of take an average of the ages that, that he was described as being through, through the prog progression of these assaults, but you have to figure he's, he's probably in his fifties now. And, you know, uh, is that why the, the assaults have stopped? Has he lost interest? Has he moved on? Has he been killed? Um, you know, who knows? I, I don't know. But I, it seems to me that there's enough information and, uh, and plenty of investigators working on this case that that it should be solved. And, and my hope is, like I said, there's so many listeners from L.A. Uh, that we have, and, and a lot of them are involved in law enforcement. And I wouldn't be surprised if if somebody has sexual assault cases that they worked and and some of these dynamics could be similar and yet those cases were never linked or even checked to see if they could be linked so that that's one of the reasons i'm excited about getting this show out to our audience absolutely and i'm trying to look you know that, that tattoo the teardrop a lot of times symbolizes somebody who's been in prison uh, maybe a gang member. Uh, sometimes it can symbolize somebody who's killed somebody or have lost somebody. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that teardrop. But as you mentioned, nobody seems to be picking up DNA hits in regards to the prison system. Now, when you do, when they do the DNA, is it nationwide? Um, I believe it is. But and I forget the year that they started that. And even after after they began uh, taking DNA, there were only certain types of, of um, crime criminals right? that they yeah, they, there are certain kind of crimes that they used as a criteria for who they were going to obtain DNA from. And my understanding is in California now all convicted felons, there's a DNA sample that's taken whether or not all of those samples are in the system, I don't know. I, I recall from years back that, that one of the problems could be that, that there's such a backlog that, that even though the DNA is collected, that it's not necessarily in the system, the database, so that, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna, there's going to be a hit or a connection to the, the evidence DNA. And, and that, that could very well be, you know, part of the, the reason why this case hasn't solved yet. I hear a clock ticking. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I hope so. This, this is a, a really dangerous man. And of course, you know, um, again, it's not a homicide, but, but you know, there's, there's few things that are as vile as a sexual assault, you know, and rapes. And, and a guy like this, it just he has to be taken off the streets and, and who knows, eventually, you know, he could kill or, or maybe he already has. Absolutely. Folks, again, if you, you can call LAPD if you have any kind of information. If you're around that area that we mentioned, um, that corridor, I'm trying to see the area again that, that we were talking about earlier uh, up in LA. I think it's, it's in the Hollywood area. Well, yeah, it seems that uh, Hollywood would be the, the farthest north that they've uh, linked him 
you know, at this point. Melrose. So, yeah. So, yeah. And, and so, I mean, it could be Hollywood, West Hollywood coming down the corridor of, of LAPD, all of LAPD's areas, which, you know, it seems like they've got a pretty good handle on that. You know, the sheriff's area, the old Firestone district area now policed by Century. Um, again, you've got uh, uh, Lennox's area not far to the west. Uh, I don't I don't know if if he's hit in that area. But again, my whole point is we don't know where he is hit and whether or not uh, any of those cases could be just unsolved cases um, sitting on some sheriff's uh, desk somewhere, you know, a, a, an investigator from the sheriff's department. And they have not linked it to the uh, teardrop rapist that the LAPD is working on. So that's one of the reasons it's important to get this information out there. You know, a lot of times there's a disconnect between LAPD and LA County Sheriff's Department. You know, the investigators in the various units uh, exchanging information. And yet they work right next door to each other. And, and oftentimes one crime bleeds over to another and right now I see a cluster, folks. So if you know, if you ever were, know anybody who lived in the area between Exposition Boulevard, Slauson Avenue, on Vermont Avenue and Manchester, that area near the 110, if you ever lived there and know anybody who has, think about 20 years ago, most of those crimes happened right around that time. Maybe you heard a conversation, maybe you heard of somebody who was being assaulted, or maybe you heard of something happening in that area. Um, try to remember that and see if you can talk to anybody during that time period. Maybe you have a little piece of information. You never know. I mean, we've, we've that Kristen Smart case, that was solved by an incredible <laughs> little piece of information that if you would have heard, would be completely innocuous. You wouldn't think anything of it. And yet it solved that murder. Yeah, and I think we're, we might talk about that in the future, right, Doc? That's but, right, that uh, might be a special episode. One of the other things that's worth mentioning on this case is that that uh, there was a man who was arrested and convicted and spent 16 years in prison uh, for for three of the uh, sexual assaults that were tied to this teardrop rapist. And uh, it was DNA that actually um, uh, exonerated him eventually, and he was released. So, you know, and of course, that's unfortunate. And it's also um it's, it's very interesting. And, you know, again, the, the investigators, there's a, there's a task force of investigators working on this case. And I'm sure they've, they've combed through all of these things and to see if there's any connection at all, but um, that's a, that's a very odd thing. And, and, you know, fortunately, if he didn't commit the assault, he is now out. My understanding is he had previously uh, been convicted of a separate sexual assault unrelated to the teardrop rapist. And, so he's, it's one of the reasons why he uh, was a guy they looked at, but but very interesting case for a number of fronts. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, hey, you got the FBI, $100,000 rewards, a lot of money out there. It's amazing. I'm assuming, like I said, clock is ticking, clock is ticking. Again, thanks folks for joining us. Remember to share and subscribe, hit that like button too. We truly appreciate it. Leave some comments. We saw some of you left comments for last week's episode. We truly appreciate it. We're going to get back to you on every single comment. We'll respond back. Can I see what your thoughts are? Hey, look, we don't know everything. Danny, great case. <laughs> yeah, great case, Doc, and, and thanks. And, and um, look forward to uh, our next, next show. You got it. See you later, everyone. Thank you.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.